Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey everyone, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with the Wondermind world. If your inbox is toxic, like most of ours, I think you're going to enjoy this. Dealing with the roller coaster that is being a human with emotions is not easy, but when we open up about what's on our minds, we learn that we're not alone. That's why, together with my co-founders Mandy Teefy and Selena Gomez, we created Wondermind. With honest conversations and expert advice, the Wondermind newsletter has your roadmap for overcoming stigma, shifting your mindset, and helping you feel supported. Go to Wondermind.com to sign up for free and receive actionable and relatable mental fitness content to your inbox every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the newsletter has exclusive content that you won't be able to find on the site, so get it first and sign up for our newsletter wondermind.com hi and welcome to the business of feelings i'm daniela pearson co-founder and co-ceo of wondermind the first of its kind mental fitness ecosystem focused on breaking the stigma surrounding mental health in this weekly podcast i sit down with those who have risen the ranks of the business world in a range of industries and discuss something that's often not talked about their feelings as an entrepreneur myself with a history of mental health struggles, I know firsthand how important it is to have these conversations and let others know that they are not alone. We all have our own mental health journeys, and it's time we talk about that. Ginny Wright, thank you so, so much for being on the Business of Feelings podcast. How are you doing and where are you calling from? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for asking. Right now, I'm in between trips. I just left New York. I had to come to my second home for one day, and then I'm flying out to Los Angeles for the next two or three days, and then I fly to Dubai for the next week. So I'm just gearing wow. up for about almost three weeks straight of travel. Oh, my goodness. So. Oh, well, l let's talk about first your current position, which is so badass. You are <laughs> the CEO of the Americas of the watch brand that everybody wants. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your current role and what the company does? Yeah. So I am the CEO of the Americas, like you said, for Audemars Piguet. It's a family-owned like luxury high-end watch business um, that has been around for more than 148 years. Wow. And I have the amazing fortune and opportunity to be the CEO of the Americas. So literally the Western hemisphere. So that's the reason I'm constantly traveling. We have 
15 boutiques and houses, which we can talk about that later, just in North America. And then we have multiple points of sales throughout Latin America, as well as the Caribbean. So I need to be out like traveling, seeing my teams, meeting our amazing clients, like people like yourself, these dynamic, Mm -hmm. really interesting people. And that's actually the, I think the biggest joy of my job. And so we've also just had an exemplary year of growth over the past few years. And so we just want to make sure we stay connected as we've almost doubled the size of our employee base in the U.S. and even Latin America over the past three years. And so we want to make sure we keep that kind of AP family, AP spirit, connecting with one-on-one, having very familiar, very less hierarchy. Everybody is treated the same. So that's the reason why I'm on the road so much. Wow. And you have been the CEO for the last two years. It's almost your two-year anniversary, I saw. So you have been present during a lot of this growth. And may I say that you probably have led a lot of this growth. So how has it felt to come in and completely just grow this heritage brand to the point where you don't even have watches in stores because so many people want them. How did it feel in the last two years to come in and do so much change? So I was really fortunate that the trajectory upwards had been happening for like at least the past decade and really underneath the leadership of Francois Benavius, who actually was in my role as of 2013. And he kind of really was a visionary in terms of recognizing the culture of the world, recognizing who the influencers and tastemakers were, and kind of wove into that fabric of what that is, and then really recognize where we needed to resonate. So I really kind of give credit to him and the teams that were before us that kind of led us to this point. Where the transition and the transformation came was really, we changed our entire business model, and it was under his direction, and we wanted to control our direct relationships with our clients. Uh, we wanted to know who we were putting watches on so that we had that, again, that connection and can understand help to help people build their collections. And so what I've done is build an amazing team of leaders that really help oversee this transition from wholesale to retail. And that transition, as you know, like when you're directly having conversations with clients, you're directly understanding what they are. You have to create an amazing client experience and a customer experience. So even if you walk into one of our stores and we don't have the watch you want today or tomorrow or even for the next three months, you had an amazing experience when you came in. You talked to someone who was warm and welcoming. And then that's what really makes us different in the world of luxury is this sense of warmth and community. Even if you may not have a watch, maybe if you come to one of our events, you feel that. And so it's kind of really taking those values and imparting that through opening, God, we've opened like five new points of sales, like over a time, like a period mm-hmm. of eight months. And that's more than eight years combined together. So it's been wow. significant growth in such a small time. But again, it's built upon a foundation that took years to build before I even arrived. So I'm just here to carry on that legacy and to sustain and build upon that, which is really hard when it's been a skyrocketing business over the course of the past 10 years. Well, yeah, you actually came in and executed the vision that was kind of set and put more of your own vision in. And something that I am so surprised about, because truly, you know, for anyone listening, the world of luxury watches really is a man's game. You know, you walk into a meeting or you go to a dinner and all of the men are looking at each other's watches. I knew the first thing I wanted when I finally rewarded myself for six years of hard work was a a watch because it really exemplifies, you know, the style, but then also it's kind of a power dynamic. And what I was so surprised about, so many of your senior executives 
are women. Can you talk about that transition? And, you know, if there even was a transition, is it more of a man's game in other companies? And do you agree with my, I guess, uh, observance of the watch world? Or is that my just cynical view? No, I there's there's a nugget of truth in everything that you're saying. So I came from an industry, which was beauty and cosmetics, where probably 90, 95% of your clients are women. The brand I came from, luckily, was more, Kiehl's was more split, like 60, 40 women, men. So I, I was used to that. But also, there's just a lot of amazing women in the cosmetics industry and founders and leaders. And I, I guess I lived in this kind of dream world for a while where men and women were equal. And so coming into this role, the question I am asked the most, and particularly by male colleagues or male journalists, are, you know, how different is it? Actually, women too. How different is it? And I didn't really understand the difference in probably about six months and, and a year end. Um, but there, I think in the Americas, there are much more women in leadership roles than elsewhere in the world. But what is interesting is at least for AP, and I think it's really because of Francois and Madame Jasmine Odomar, we've had dynamic, amazing women at the helm of AP, either the chairman of the board or some of the lead designers. There's six kind of global CEOs that run the world and three of us are women. And then when I came into this role, I had the fortune of building a really strong leadership team and just picking the best candidates and picking the best people. It happened to be that 50% of the leadership team were women. And as we built out our retail network, more than 50% of our boutique directors are actually women as well. And I think that when women now come into our boutiques, they see people who look like them that can relate to them, not that men can't, but it, I think it gives a sense of reassurance. And to your second point, you're absolutely right. But when you wear an Audemars Piguet watch, it's kind of like, if you know, you know, and men kind of know, and then they probably see that watch on you and going, well, A, she is someone who I probably shouldn't mess with because she's powerful, she's knowledgeable, <laughs> and she has some significant success. And usually they're probably asking, oh my God, how did, how can I get that? <laughs> they're probably, there's some envy <laughs> and some jealousy to it that are like, oh my gosh. And I, that happens all the time. I was actually in the airport in Charles de Gaulle about a month ago and I had my watch on and a guy came up to me going, oh my gosh, how did you, how did you get that? Where did that come from? And so that part is really fascinating. And we're starting to see more and more women recognize it because honestly, because of women like you, I mean, we, as women, we think about watches differently. The meaning is different and how we learn about it is completely different from it. And so it's not a one size fits all approach, but you're absolutely correct. And I think again, all the success that's come to you and you got that watch, it's a signifier of the effort and the time, especially that time is such a precious resource that you've put into that. And it helps signify like all the accomplishments, you know, just a minor, a minor little physical manifestation of some of the accomplishments you receive. And it also, it's a nice signal to send in the boardroom of what you're about and who you are. Yeah, well, d truthfully, it is so much more than just a small piece. I mean, everybody at the store, the boutique, everyone in, on the exec team that I've met has been so warm and has not felt like you are, you know, entering a space where, oh, like, where is your husband or your father who can buy you this watch? It's like, you are the customer. I only care about you. And that is not the same way in other watch stores. I walked into a few watch stores before and they literally asked where my husband was um, oh or if gosh. I was, a, a, if mm. I had a budget from my husband and it was so infuriating. And so I just want people listening to know how astounding it is that 
three out of the six global CEOs are women at this company that is the leader in watches. But let's go back to how we met and then also how much you have had to do with the trajectory of Wondermind without really even knowing it and without purposely doing it. So we met because I became a client of AP and we were introduced. And again, that is that warm feeling, the community, the inclusivity that you were talking about. And then you were kind enough to invite me to an event in LA where you frequent a lot. And it was at this incredible chef's house. It was also hosted by someone named Serena Williams, who people listening might know. And she is a face and an advocate for the brand. And we essentially met at this party. I saw her across the room and I was just like, oh my God. And You are the reason why we met Serena Williams, who ended up becoming with Serena Ventures, our lead investor, when we raised it on a $100 million post valuation. And I became an LP in her fund, which means that I put my own money in to make up a small part of the $100 million plus fund that they have built. And their mission is to invest in entrepreneurs of color and people who don't usually get the money. And she's just been such a mentor and a guide light to me. And it really was all because of you. (laughs) Well, I think it's because I love to bring interesting people together and we do that as a brand, but you're right. I think it was like 30 women, like really just cool women from different backgrounds. You mentioned some of them and it was also with Vanity Fair. So we also had the amazing editor-in-chief Radhika Jones there. But the great thing is, and it was also at Chef Dominique Crenn's house, right? She is like the, I think the only female chef in the Americas to get, I think, get three Michelin stars. I mean, she's just the most badass rock star woman. And, but her food has such soul and such poet poetry. And it's just an amazing part to not only be around her and take inspiration from her and then her amazing partner and wife, uh, Maria Bello. So it was at their beautiful home overlooking the Hollywood Hills and then, you know, Serena. And that's what I think is so cool is that we bring these interesting people together, but we do in this really like intimate, warm, kind of casual way that you can just go up and have a conversation with Serena. But Okay. So I'm a huge fangirl of Serena as well, too. Like she's just, she admits energy, greatness, warmth. She's so smart, but she is one of the funniest people I've ever met. I swear my stomach and my cheeks hurt from that night because I laughed so hard because I was between her and Bozemana St. John and Serena and I was crying tears. But I wanted you to come to that event. And I knew you flew all the way, I think, from New York City to come to that event Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. I will not even try to play it cool. I was like, I'm going for this one (laughs) dinner. And and I will tell you, it's because we, like, you are, like, really just, I think, exemplify, like, the women we want to bring into our brand. Like, and it's self-purchasing. And I wanted to make sure that you were introduced to her because I knew she had Serena Ventures. But I also, I don't think at the time I knew you were working on Wondermind. So after the fact... When I talked to her and then I talked to you and that you guys made that connection, I mean, to me, like, that's the ultimate gift. Because if you can bring people together who, like, shine their energy and their positivity, and I know that's probably really fluffy, but I really believe in that. Like, I believe in that positive thinking and helping women out and helping out people who maybe not otherwise, to your point, get a chance, I think is amazing. And I'm glad I played a very small part in just making this lovely connection happen. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I just wanted to give a big shout out to another way that our ecosystem exists in the Wonder Mind world, which is our content hub, our website. So if you want to work on your mental fitness, because who doesn't slash I know I do, make sure to visit wondermind.com where you'll find easy to understand articles that take the jargon and judgment out of mental health, expert back tips for improving your mental and emotional health, and exclusive interviews with actors, athletes, entrepreneurs, and more about how they're really feeling. Visit wondermind.com for mental fitness content that you won't want to miss. Now back to the show. So I want to get back to you because you talk about Serena as being this light and this dynamic woman, and that is who you are, truly. You have such a force and a presence when you are in a room. And so I want to talk about your mindset and how you've gotten to this place where you just truly can be in a room and command just an incredible energy. My first job actually was I was a legislative aide on Capitol Hill, like directly wow. out of college. I thought politics was going to be my future and I really wanted to be a press secretary and I, I was not going to be given the chance when like I thought mm. like, oh, we're so much more liberated as women and like yeah. in this kind of mid to late 90s because I watched what my mom went through in the 70s and lo and behold, I was still called sugar, sweetie, honey. Like, Oh my gosh. Sitting, like when I was with, sitting in the house judiciary like conference room. So that was there. And then I actually picked up my bags and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And I worked with almost an all-women public relations agency. I saw these amazing women doing really cool things. And that's where it kind of got my chops. And I worked my way up through PR. Then eventually I said, you know, this is not what I want to do. And so I went to MBA school in Paris and in, in a great school called ASAC. And then L'Oreal basically recruited me out of school. So I truly transformed my career of wanting to owning marketing, understanding the full business cycle, really understanding finance. And L'Oreal, it was an amazing place to not only learn like the marketing and client centric and looking at it that way, but also to really learn numbers and understand your P&L. That was super hyper important. And then from there, I think I was promoted within like 10 to 11 months from my first job. And then I went into my next job at Longcomb. And then I actually had a baby. And then I went to my next job as head of global marketing for Ralph Lauren Fragrances. Then had another baby. And luckily, I worked for a company who saw motherhood and ambition not as two things that can't be together. That can be mm-hmm. one and the same and the same person. I, you know, I worked my way up. But what I learned along the way was you can come down hard on people. 
and think someone is not doing their job. But I think what it comes down to and where I really had a massive mindset shift Mm -hmm. was one was recognizing people's intention. Like, I don't think that most people come to work every day and say, how am I going to screw this up? (laughs) And so I try to give myself grace and other people grace. That's one. And I think that really trying to be true to yourself, acting respect, acting with integrity and acting with kindness. Those are like my three favorite words. If you show up every day with that intention, like you're going to be pure to yourself and you're going to be, I think to your point, and thank you for the lovely compliments, respected by other people. And they're not going to be in fear of you. They're going to be in, I want to follow you. Yes. Yes. And so that's been like my transition to leadership. It's also, I think you actually have this in spades, Daniela, is the ability to be vulnerable. I think it's the most courageous thing you can do. And I think that that's a big shift that's really happened. And I think that's what a lot of women have brought to the executive and entrepreneurial world, which is that feeling of empathy, that feeling of the ability to listen and learn and act with kindness. And that is really a big shift from probably where I started in the, like the mid to late nineties, where it was aggressive and hard and you failed. And it was just a, so I think we're seeing a different workers and I've I have tried to embody that as along the way. Was I perfect at the beginning? I was so far. Like I was such a, like, I know there were times I was a terrible manager, but I had to learn to lead differently. And so I'm sure the people who worked for me 12 years ago were like, that wasn't exactly how she was versus now, but you have to evolve. And I was just trying to evolve for the better. Well, I, I love that vulnerability because it really takes such a confident and again, just raw and real person to admit that they made a mistake. So you said that you went to school in France. Did you know French? Uh, Was it a culture shock? What was your mindset when you went to another country to study? And then when you went to L'Oreal? So this business school, it had a track that was luxury that luckily LVMH and L'Oreal like really believed in. And no, I did, luckily our program was actually in English. It was a global program, so it had to be English. And my French was not great, but I studied French before I left, while I was there. And when I actually, when I graduated, I was, I wouldn't say I was fluent. I probably can talk deeply about economics and politics, but I could definitely like order off anything off the menu and go to a bank and feel comfortable in the grocery store and give directions. So I, I what I learned about going to a French business school and then working with a French company that definitely has a, you know, it, it's a global company, but there's a Frenchness, is that they're much more more black, white, or thesis, antithesis, thesis, antithesis, and then it comes together. And so that ability to have confrontation to make something better, and that it's probably never always going to be perfect, was something I did learn at L'Oreal. And it was strive for perfection, but you may not always get there, but do your best to make that happen. Try to be exceptional in everything that you do, either from understanding what your budget is, to if you're going to craft and create a new fragrance with Mr. Lauren, take that mindset. And, and I really appreciated about that because I became very comfortable with providing a different point of view. And that's what I think really afforded me being in French business school and then working for a French company to act a little bit differently. It's interesting that the, the Americans, how we give feedback is much more like you're doing wonderful and great. But if you went over to work on that and the French were like, nope. This was Just wrong. And this is it. And they're like, hold on, but what about all the good stuff? And the Americans were like, look at all your good stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh, this could be better. So it, it's also recognizing, again, their intention and other people's intention when they're giving you feedback where they're coming from culturally. You have to remember it's very different where other people come from in the world. 
Yes. And that that's so interesting. You were literally Emily in Paris before that show ever came out. <laughs> it was. And I had the most amazing girlfriends there. Like I met girlfriends from South Africa, from Germany, from China, wow. from Korea. And we all kind of bonded together and had the most fabulous life. And we worked hard and we played hard for about, a, you know, over a year. And it was just an amazing, fun time. That's incredible. And I'm so jealous of that. It truly sounds like your diary was taken and Netflix uh, created Emily in Paris <laughs> from it. But when you started, you know, going up the ranks, you said that you were promoted 11 months into, you know, working at L'Oreal in the fragrance department. What was your mindset? And you said that while you were very quickly going through these incredible roles that you transitioned to, you said, and then I had a baby and then I had another baby. How did you feel? Did you feel like I want to be a career centric person and have a personal life? Did you think that it was possible to have both? How was your mindset on that? And how has it maybe evolved? You know, it's, uh, there's this work ethic and drive in me, and I probably got it from my mother, who at 74 is a personal trainer and owns her own gym and like total ripped, shredded badass. And I oh think that gosh. I inherited that from her and my, my grandfather was a fighter pilot. And it was like, I had my first job when I was like 10, 11 years old. Like I've been working my whole life. So for me, having a career was like not even a question. Like I've always had this drive to be the best I could be, gain more knowledge and to get ahead. And I thought, yeah, you can balance that when you have kids. And I did. But the only, I think one of the reasons why I could do it is I have the most amazing husband who is a geopolitical analyst and he does a few other things, but he's fortunate enough to work for himself and be consult and work from home. And I don't think that it could have been possible without having a partner that can help support you because I'm on the road a lot and my kids miss me terribly, but because they have this amazing father at home and our fabulous dog, our family <laughs> unit works. And so I don't, I would say that there, I drop balls all the time. Like, did I forget, did I forget to set up the play date on Friday? Absolutely. I forgot to set up the play date on Friday. And do I have to make that up to my daughter by probably doing a sleepover with her on Saturday night? Yes, that is my normal life. And it's, it's tough sometimes, but it's highly rewarding. And I, and like that fulfills me. And I don't think if I didn't have this career, like it would leave like a hole in who I, who I was. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not the healthiest thing to wrap up in your identity, but and when I go on vacation, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I'm tired or somebody goes, no, you're not tired. This is what it feels like to relax. And I'm like, I'm not used to that. <laughs> so I try to try to balance that out. And it's interesting coming from the cosmetics world. Like we didn't talk about self-care when I first started. And then when we hit the pandemic, like self-care started. And I think you really have to focus on taking care of yourself so that you can try to take care of others in your career. Because if you don't have like yourself, not necessarily centered, but just be self-aware of what's happening with your own body, your own mind, it'll be really difficult to deliver on everything else in your life. That's so, so true. I was actually being interviewed by a lovely woman for her podcast last night. She asked me, uh, what do I do to win the day every day? And I thought about it and I was like, honestly, I feel like I lose the day most of the time because it's me being hard on myself. Like you said, like dropping some balls, like you can't always get everything done. And so I'm wondering someone like you, Jenny Wright, who just exudes authority and confidence and just perfection. When was the last time that you felt like a loser? Oh gosh. It's when I let people down 
and it happens probably once a week or twice a week. I mean, I don't feel like a loser, but I just don't like forgetting things and I don't like letting people down, but I'm self-aware of this. So it's taken years for me to learn it and probably countless hours of therapy is to understand how to forgive yourself and recognize, yes, you made a mistake. Why did you make that mistake? How did that happen? So you can recognize the pattern of, of why you disappointed someone or why you feel like a failure. And then I also think I surround myself with a great support system. I have a cheerleaders and like my best girlfriends, or I call them my greatest friends because I just have amazing, great friends around me and um, my family and like my mom, like they're the people who are like, you're not a loser. You are, you are, and you're winning and you're doing it with integrity. Don't forget that. And so I just have to sit back a lot of times in the shower and say, man, I really effed that up today and I feel horrible about it. And then I'm like, how am I going to rectify it? And how am I going to forgive myself to move on so that that negativity and like toxicity and all the cortisol, like cortisol that's flowing through my veins of that stress hormone, how do I get that, that icky, gross, toxic feeling out of me so I can be like above the line and move on. And I, I have to do that a lot a lot. It's, it sounds like you are very in tune with, okay, this feeling is coming because this happened, but I I have to like take it out. And that is something that is really learned through a lot of reflection, but also therapy. And I'm wondering when did you start therapy and was there a period of time where you just felt really low and just really sad? Or did you get a therapist because you wanted to, you know, maintain uh, your good trajectory? I mean, I had a stumbling block in my career. I left L'Oreal for about a year and a half, two years to work as a, with a startup. And uh, the ideas and the, the thought behind that company was going to be amazing. And it didn't work out. And luckily L'Oreal had asked me to come back to work for them, but I felt like a failure and mm-hmm. it was something, and I didn't probably work for the best person that matched our personalities. And that was hard for me too, because I try to get along. I don't have to be liked by everyone, but I try to get along with everyone. And it rocked me. And then I kind of went back to other things that were rocking me. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, my father w- was a narcissist, like of the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's passed away. And it, I didn't realize what a toll it put on me emotionally. And I had a few months off before I started at L'Oreal, because I kind of like at this non-compete time period. And I said, you know what, I'm going to use this time to reset mentally. And I found an amazing therapist who helped me deal with the issues that I have with my father and his narcissism and how, when I do run into that type of personality, how I can be susceptible to it or how I can live with it. And that really helped take a burden off of me. And then she also really taught me to, again, forgive yourself. You effed up, figure it out, own it, but don't let that sit inside of you. And so she helped me that. And she also helped me with a higher self exercise to kind of ground myself before I go into a big meeting or I don't feel like I'm at my best. I do it this way. I put my first finger and my thumb together. I think about what it feels like to the person like I love and what that love feels like. And then I put that the next finger together and I think about the people who love me and what that feeling like to love me and put like myself and my daughter or my son's shoes. And then I think about the time where I spoke my truth and doing those little three things together really is like my little exercise to kind of say, okay, you are who you are. You're going to be good and you're going to get through this. 
and move on. So that therapy lives with me. And then I've also sought executive coaches to have helped me transition that more into my professional career. And you have to have mentors, I think, and you have to have these people that help guide you and see other ways of looking at things and remind you to be kind in all honesty. Thank you so much for taking us through that. Do you think that your father impacted this drive to be successful and to really just be as best you could be? It was, and this is what I share with like my friends or like my family, is that through therapy, what I figured out was my mom was an amazing person and my protector and like my safety. And I love her like just more than life itself. And she luckily remarried to an amazing, like my stepfather, who was an amazing man. And I realized that part of the drive not only came from her, but part of the drive was, it was my fear that I would ever have to go live with him full time. And so I strove to be like that perfect child that made straight A's, that never did anything harmful in high school and try to be as just good as possible. And it was a subconscious. I mean, this was totally my subconscious. This was not like up front and center. And through therapy, I really realized that I had to either be perfect, but just be that great kid that was the smart, best, everything that she did. So there was no fear or no threat of having to go live with him. And my mom, of course, feels terrible for that. I'm like, don't, that helped me make me the person I am today. But I also recognize like not to put that burden on my children Um, and it's tough, but you now recognize it. You now know what it is. And I think therapy helps you drive that self-awareness to recognize when you're down to yourself, you're like, okay, you know, let's remind her why you are the way you are and how can that help you again, change those patterns and get you on to be in a more positive mindset. So I guess I'm wondering now that you've reflected on everything, how does it feel to be on the other side of all of that work and to really understand what happened to you and who you were and who you've become? I made so many mistakes in my life. I made so many like, oh my God, what did I, why did I do that? I mean, that happens. Those are becoming less and and less frequent, but they still do happen. I mean, two weeks ago, I'm like, oh my God, why I was such jackass, you know, but instead of walling that, it's owning up to it. And I think that's how I stand on the other side is that I know I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to try not to do it. But when I do it is own up to it, like take accountability, take responsibility, Mm -hmm. because I think that that is the best way. And I think that you just try to own up to the mistakes that you made and take accountability, but feel good with that. I think that that takes such strength to admit that you've screwed something up and that how you're going to see yourself out of it instead of being like, Oh, it's a weakness that you admitted that you did that wrong. I totally agree with you. And, you know, we were talking about mental health and what that means to you right now. And so my last question, Jenny, so what does mental health mean to you on a daily or weekly basis? How has that evolved? I think when you have kids, you want the best for them. And I have an 11-year-old boy who was was been diagnosed with ADHD and with anxiety. And we're really open and upfront about it. Like I'm here, I'm talking to you about it. And we talked to his mm-hmm. teachers about it. And I have a therapist for him. And I mean, I luckily have the resources to help them. But it's recognizing where I've done my due diligence or have tried to be the best mom, even though is to recognize that he's going to have to learn differently. And I don't want people to think he is dumb or stupid or lazy or any of those things because his mind does not work the same way as everybody else. I probably had friends growing up that were suffered through this, but they were labeled something that they wouldn't be. So I try to take that individual approach with everyone and just recognize that people are individuals and they're not always going to meet your expectations or what you think the expectations should be. So 
again, I think it goes back to being empathetic. It goes back to trying to understand people's intention and then trying to help them work through that. And if you I think take that process even with your kids or with your friends or anything, I think your life will be a lot ha- happier in the end or more content in the end. Thank you so much, Jenny. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you and be able to learn so much about you. Daniel, it's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Business of Feelings. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope this episode was helpful for you in some way. Whether you learned something new, became inspired to prioritize your own mental fitness, or just felt a little less alone about being a human who has feelings in this world, like we all do. Don't forget to subscribe to The Business of Feelings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want access to more mental fitness content, make sure to check out wondermind.com or sign up for our tri-weekly newsletter. I'll see you next time when we're back with another great guest being open and honest about their feelings as they build their empires. Our theme song is written and produced by John Levine, and The Business of Feelings is produced by Wondermind and Big Din Productions. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.